Brian Wilson and I were classmates right here at Hawthorne High School. We played in the backfield, and I remember once we were in a huddle, and the cheerleaders were singing the Hawthorne fight song. And right in the middle of the huddle, Brian starts singing the melody. Onward Cougars, onward Cougars. And of course, our favorite play was the double reverse handoff with four-part harmony. Ready? <laughs> friends welcome back to the sail on podcast this is wyatt here in nashville tennessee joined as always by my co-host jason brewer hey buds and budettes we are back after a week off uh sorry about that we had some gigs to play in the south and uh on the open seas as it were oh yeah so yeah we will just give you a little recap on that because uh, it was a lot of fun, and we played a show in Memphis, Tennessee, Thursday night, right? That's right, Thursday. And uh, it was at this place called Lafayette's, and we had never been there before, but it was really nice, um, little restaurant, bar, and music venue. We were really stoked to meet several podcast listeners, including Craig and Joe from Memphis, and Craig wrote in a few days earlier and told us he was going to be coming. Um, And we also had some uh, fans of the Beach Boys Comet that were also podcast listeners, Michael and Stephen Klein. So I want to say thanks to you guys as well for coming and hanging out and sharing in our love for the Beach Boys. Yeah, great to see everybody. It was was great. We'll give a little uh, props to the Lafayette's folks. They really do know how to treat a band and treat the crowd so it's a really great place to see and hear and hang so uh, great room so after that we booked it down to New Orleans where we were setting sail for a cruise that was a Walking Dead themed cruise so the TV show Walking Dead was called the Walker Stalker Cruise and it was basically a, a cruise down to Mexico and back and they booked a few bands, and they booked us to play a few times. Um, and we were kind of confused, as I'm sure some of the people that were attending were, as to why a Beach Boys band was playing a Walking Dead cruise. But we were just happy to be there and stoked to be along for the ride. And I think a lot of people really responded well to it. Uh, the first time we played, we were outside on the pool deck, and it was kind of storming, so our set our set got cut short. Um, and the weather wasn't really cooperating so the uh next couple times we played were inside and in the atrium or kind of like the lobby level of the boat and uh, they were pretty fun a lot of people were singing along and um there were some zombies out there dancing around to help me run and stuff like that so it was pretty interesting but i think the real highlight for me and for other the other guys was getting a day in cozumel mexico um to just kind of hang out and have some fun we rented a jeep and drove around the island you can see some pictures if you check uh my instagram which is just funderburk uh i 
posted some pictures from our trip. It was beautiful down there. It's crazy that it was in the middle of January and it was 80 degrees and gorgeous, amazing little island. So if you ever get a chance to check it out, please do. Um, definitely felt the uh, tropical vibes down there, and oh, yeah. it was really nice to get out of the you know 30 and 40 degree weather up here in Tennessee and kind of have a little uh, taste of summer in the winter time. So it was really nice. We are back now. Just got back last night and ready to get back into the podcast. Um, I do also want to uh, give a shout out to uh, um, the Aztec Spirit yes. slot machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say that I uh, thoroughly enjoyed our uh, kind of our band leader, musical director, keyboard player, etc. Mike Williamson wearing his baseball hat in the ocean. That was uh, one of my all-time uh, favorites there, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he doesn't go anywhere without that hat. So, Yep. So it was really good meeting everybody. If you're a new listener, welcome in. Um, we start at the beginning, so if you aren't super familiar with the Beach Boys, I would recommend going back to episode one and just kind of following along with us. We're doing everything in a somewhat chronological order with little dips here and there. But uh, hopefully this is uh, a good you know, way to indoctrinate people into the Beach Boys fandom and also something interesting for people that have been fans their whole lives, like, like Jason and I. Uh, this week, we're going to read some more emails. We've been getting tons of emails. I'm sorry I haven't been able to keep up. So um, if I haven't responded or if we haven't read it on the air, please be patient. I'm trying to get to all of them, but you guys are just being super uh, sweet and, and awesome with the emails. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to read one to start this episode off from Joe Bridge. He says, Hi, Jason and Wyatt. Having listened to and enjoyed all your sale on podcasts so far, I really feel like I had to join in with the other listeners who have been in touch to express their love for the Beach Boys and their feedback on the podcast. I think you guys have done a great job so far, and I'm sure there are many more great podcasts to come. There is so much to discuss and delve into with the Beach Boys music and story, and I feel the way the podcast has gone so far, it's going to become a valuable and entertaining resource that I hope as many fans as possible will find and enjoy. I just wanted to say thanks, first of all, Joe. That is exactly what we're trying to do, and I appreciate those kind words. Super rad. He goes on to say... You display a deep knowledge of and great affection for the band, but it's your inclusiveness and engagement with the listeners that makes the podcast an extra special listen. There's a great warmth and humbleness to your work that echoes the warmth of the music of Brian and the boys. You are touching all my heartstrings right now, Joe. Appreciate it. As a kid, the classic 60s hits were always favorites of mine, but it's only as I have gotten into music from my late teens and onwards, particularly the last five years or so, I'm 34 now, that I have come to treasure the music of the Beach Boys and barely a day goes by without listening to it. Musically, I'm most drawn to the 66 to 77 era, in particular, Pet Sound, Smile, Sunflower, Love You, and anything Dennis Wilson. I absolutely loved the Sunshine Tomorrow collection, and of course, and all the 60s and 70s music of all eras gets regular play. I dip a toe here and there into the 80s and beyond. Hey, it's still the Beach Boys, all part of the story. I find their whole story from growing up in Hawthorne to the creatively highs in the 60s to the lows of Summer in Paradise, the personal journeys. So low. <laughs> the personal journeys music has taken them all on. 
but particularly Brian and Dennis and the whole soap opera that has been the Beach Boys on and off stage, endlessly fascinating. But mostly, of course, it's about the music, and that music resonates so emotionally with me. It's often my best friend in troubled times, and always makes me smile, cry, or at least some kind of emotion. Their music touches me in ways no other music comes close. I cry whenever I watch Brian Wilson present Smile, the live performance. The combination of the stunningly beautiful music and the whole backstory just gets me every time. I was lucky enough to catch the Beach Boys on their 50th tour when it reached Wembley in London back in 2012, and it was such a special show to see them all on stage together with that incredible band behind them and such an unbelievable set that was. Wow, seeing Brian Wilson sing I Just Wasn't Made for These Times was one of the best live musical moments of my life. Incredible. I've also seen Brian solo and Mike touring Beach Boys, all enjoyable, but that 50 tour was special. Anyway, keep up the good work and can't wait to continue the journey with you and all other fans listening. Sail on. Joe Bridge from London. Wow, what a great email, Joe. Um, I think you, as Wyatt kind of said while he was reading your email, that you're just kind of hitting all the kinds of home runs on all the same things that you know we both feel and think. And I'll have to say that I, I got to see that 50th anniversary tour too, and I've seen, you know, Mike's band and Brian a bunch too. And that 50th tour was incredibly special. I think the sentimentality, A, but B, the set list and the incredible band on stage, not to mention, you know, the guys just being together. I'm totally with you there, Joe. What a great email. Thank you so much for sharing your, your thoughts with us. And, uh, yeah, really, really great. I got, I'm kind of a little speechless at how great that email was. Yeah, that's the stuff that keeps us going um, and makes these late-night recording sessions possible. Um, I would just say also that I really respond and resonate with your love of Dennis and Brian and kind of the soap opera that you called it. Um, I've always loved the personal story of the Beach Boys almost in parallel with the music. I, I find it fascinating, and I think Brian's sort of redemption story is really wonderful, and the ups and downs of the band as a whole are just fascinating, and uh, I'm still you know, uncovering things all the time in my research, and, and thanks to all the wonderful Beach Boys historians out there that are contributing to the fandom. I really appreciate everyone that's you know diving in with us, because it all just enriches the entire universe that we've created and and that we maintain. So, um, yeah, really thankful for that. Really thankful, thankful for you listening, Joe. We look forward to, you know, hearing from you again and, uh, we hopefully will make it over to the UK at some point and get to hang with you. Next up, an email from Kevin Quinn recently discovered your podcast first beach boys one i've heard and you're knocking it out of the park great insights and getting me to explore some albums miu in particular also digging the explorers club expertly crafted at times i forget it's not the beach boys keep up the good work thanks are you hip to the lemon twigs long island teenage brothers raised on the boys and creating amazing music inspired by all those great bands we love they also have been known to cover let's put our hearts together you should check them out if you haven't already Kevin Quinn. Yeah, Kevin, we know about the Lemon Twigs. They're great. And I love that cover that they do of Let's Put Our Hearts Together. What a rare tune to hear anyone cover. I don't want to tell you that I care for you 
And have you just ignore me It's better that I wait and see just how you feel And maybe you'll adore me Super cool, young dudes, really making great music. Remind me a lot of um, kind of that early 70s rock slash glam slash power pop feel. Um, has lots of, you know, Todd Rundgren vibes, but also tons of Brian Wilson and McCartney and all that good stuff. So yeah, love those dudes. Really hope to uh, meet them one day, share a lot of influences with those guys, I'm sure. Yeah, they're a cool band. I think our, our good buddy Darian's a like president of their fan club. And I think they're yeah. the presidents of his fan club too. I think they're like some major mutual love going there. Um, but yeah, they done they've done some really rad stuff, super creative guys. Um, and thanks for the Explorers Club nod. Uh, so glad we could capture that vocal sound. Um, glad you're picking up on that. And uh yeah, MIU, get into it, live it, love it. Yeah, MIU was, was one that Jason turned me on to a few years ago after kind of not giving it much of a chance originally. Um, it, it found a way into my top 10 Beach Boys records. I think also due to the amount of drama surrounding that record and kind of the weirdness, which, you know, I love. So definitely get into that and... Uh, Get into every record. I mean, like like uh, like Joe was saying earlier. I think you know, even Summer in Paradise is worth checking out. And um, you know, you just gotta you gotta try it all, man. It's like eating it's like eating a new food that you're not sure about, man. It's like uh, you just gotta try it out. It might be awful, but you might you might dig it, and you might after a few tries, you might start liking it. So you never know. We've uh we've been crushing some '80s Beach Boys records in the van lately on tour. Like we like I think our current rotation is pretty stacked with like self-titled '85 record and keeping the summer alive. Still cruising, and still cruising. Yeah, man, Gosh. still cruising is creeping up the charts for us too. Like I can't stop um, listening to somewhere near Japan. Like I think on our on the boat trip, I listened to it about 15 times. Dude, I want to do a um, top 10 Beach Boys Deep Cuts episode. I think I'm into it. <laughs> Somewhere New Japan would be up there for me. So, <clears throat> I got to say, though, it's like trying a new food, but Summer in Paradise, you know, that's like eating dog food. Yeah. I thought you were going to say dog something else, but yeah. This is a, this is a family show, Wyatt. <laughs> I'd say, you know, try it out. If you can get a copy of it, definitely. Um, it's not available online. Um, I don't think any anybody in the Beach Boys camp is proud of that one, so they're kind of keeping it under wraps. Maybe they'll do a 30th anniversary box set for um, Summer in Paradise. We're keeping our fingers crossed. They're never coming uncrossed. <laughs> All right. So, um, moving on. 
We got an email from Wayne Barnes. Wayne says, man, am I so glad to have discovered you guys. I have been on a Beach Boys obsession for a couple of years now and only recently discovered the Explorers Club, so I recently listened to your albums. Then I independently discovered the Sail On podcast and didn't realize it was at first the same guys. So excited about the tribute band Sail On. I'm in the Dallas, Texas area and may have to come out to your July 20th Tyler show. Boom. Anyhow, just listen to the first episode and we'll be listening faithfully to all of them. I can already tell I'm going to love it. I love how you guys said you're discussing the music, but also the life of the band as well. I know that a lot of fans just want to focus on the music only, but I can tell you that I find their personal story incredibly compelling as well. Some of the big questions I hope you will talk about. All right, let's get into it. He's got four questions here and I want to respond to these as we get to them. Number one, what happened in 1967? Why did Brian really abandon Smile? And why did he quit the big production game? Were the other Beach Boys really against him here? Or is it more complicated than that? Jason, what do you think? Well, I think it's way more complicated. I don't think anyone was necessarily against him because multiple members of the band just had said, if you think we were against Brian, then go back and listen to all the work we did do. So I've always felt that that's total bunk, as we say in the South. Um, yeah, bunk town. Bunk town. I, I really think that the way that Brian was putting that together, he set himself up for an almost impossible feat. Um, he was trying to do 21st century recording in the middle of the 20th century. That's really what it boils down to, if you, if you want my ex- extreme opinion. And I think that Brian got to a point where the passion for the project died. I mean, it really did. And I think he got sick of thinking about it, sick of being asked about it, sick of working on it. And, you know, there's lots of people that have tried to prop up stories that, oh, Mike Love or Van Dyke Parks or or David Anderley or whoever else was involved with Brian at the time derailed the whole thing. Or Murray, I don't know, whatever. I don't buy any of it. I think that's all, we're all comfortable excuses for the press. Um, Because, you know, you think Brian Wilson or the Beach Boys want to come out and say, yeah, we just kind of gave up. No, of course not. So I know that's kind of a hot take. That was a very uh, ESPN hot take for you. But I mean, it just, I've been in a band for a long time, been in multiple bands, and sometimes things just don't gel, even if it's brilliant. Yeah, that's well put. I think just to add on to that, I think that the pressure was just too much um the expectations were crazy and brian was kind of like you know brian was just doing too much and wasn't focused like he was on pet sounds and uh, you know this is a a topic that we'll definitely get into a lot more obviously in the future but i think you know just from the nature of of smile and and the sessions that you can hear there was just so many ideas that were unfinished and there were so many ideas that didn't fit together that he was having trouble with and it just became so overwhelming and i think nobody really understood where it was going even brian so it was very hard to complete it it got to the point where there were just so many pieces and uh no real finished products but you know i think you know what he did and how he was able to come out of that and make an album like smiley smile and especially wild honey which is very much a brian album 
I think it's pretty amazing um, going in a different direction and building the studio at home. I mean, it all just kind of worked out um, for the best, in my opinion. I think, you know, there was nowhere else to go, really, at that point. It's like after making the best album of all time, what do you what do you do from there, you know? One other little thing that's interesting to mention is it's kind of funny that books and fans or whatever will try to say, oh, you know, if you listen to Smiley Smile or Wild Honey or Friends, oh, he's just kind of dumbed everything down and he's given up, which I think is totally ridiculous because he was such an innovator, such a brilliant guy that he just decided, you know what? I'm going to change the color of my vision a little bit. I'm going to move away from the big thing that all the major studios and all the, you know, and when they finally caught up to him, he was already on to home recording, which that's become a huge industry. And he was 30 years ahead of that. We're going to get so into that stuff later, but just wanted to try and answer that with a two minute version, if, if you will, for, for Wayne. Let's move on to the second question. Number two, what happened to his beautiful golden falsetto between 1966 and 1976? When was it gone forever? You know, obviously, Brian smoked a lot in the 60s and 70s, and that will definitely mess up anybody's voice, but he just didn't take care of himself. He was very unhealthy as the 70s progressed, and he ballooned up to, you know, his biggest size. He was definitely doing a lot of damage to his vocal cords at the same time Um, eating poorly drinking a lot doing lots of drugs and smoking a lot constantly smoking so i feel like that was the main reason and he just also wasn't warming himself up you know he just wasn't singing a lot and he just kind of went stagnant and you can really tell between surfs up and um 15 big ones in that little gap there where he was mostly in bed he really um, didn't take care of his voice, and it shows. But then you can also see between, you know, 15 big ones and MIU, those couple years there, his voice got a lot better because he was out singing a lot more, and he was back on the road with the boys. So I think it was a lot of conditioning problems as well as his diet and um, all the smoking. I think those are all contributing factors, but I do think... This is the interesting thing. I think that somewhere around 73, 74, when he was in his bed phase, he became so stoked about Randy Newman and even stuff like Louis Armstrong records and Sinatra records that he decided, oh, you know, I don't want to have this kid voice anymore. And he intentionally did some stuff vocally in some of his recording sessions I think it was a balance. I think he was intentionally trying to sound different. But I also think all the stuff you said. I mean, I think it was a combo of the two. Because there's some... my One of my favorite from around, I guess, it's 74. um, That in the back of my mind demo where he just goes back and forth between Love You, Brian, and like Friends, Brian. And it's like... Sure. Okay. Is he putting us on? What's going on here? Um, so I think it's kind of a mystery still, just to be honest with you, but I think that logic leans toward what Wyatt said, but you know, Brian was trying to reinvent himself even through all his craziness there during that time. So that leads us into the next question. Number three, when did he become 
quote-unquote different? Did he fry his brain in the 70s on cocaine? Did Landy fry it with over-medication in the 80s? Is he actually still the same old Brian, and it's all just a put-on? I don't think that... Try this. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a question anyone can really answer, and I don't think you'd ever get an answer from Brian or anybody else. I will say that as far back as the mid-70s when he first started doing stuff with Landy, he was on medication then. Um, Anytime he was with Landy, he was being put through some kind of you know, medication, regimen, what have you, that, you know, probably really started, you know, moving some things around up there that aren't supposed to be moving. Um, I think his 80s period when he was super over-medicated really set the scene for where, you know, he progressed. But I don't know. I don't know the guy. I can't speculate on that. We only see what's in print or in film or on TV or at a concert. And, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter to me. He's made great music. He still has made great things off and on throughout his whole career. You know, it's his business, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think the over-medication was a huge part of it. Um, Like a lot of people don't realize that he was off and on with Landy for, you know, 15 years or so. Um, and in the seventies when he was doing a lot of cocaine and treating himself poorly, he also just, you know, stayed in bed a lot. And I think he was so overwhelmed with everything and all the expectations of being a quote unquote genius that it kind of pushed him away and pushed him into a hole and kind of, um, magnified his paranoia and the issues that he had already already you know shown signs of throughout the 60s but um you know yeah it's really hard to say and it's hard to speculate he's he's just a really you know spiritual guy he's got a he's got a huge heart and everybody that's known him has said that he's you know one of the sweetest guys kindest guys you'll ever meet so i think any more speculation from me would just be unfair um Really, I mean, I think he's had his fair share of problems, and it's hard to really pinpoint one or two reasons. So it's it's one of those things that I'm just gonna try and be as as kind as I can about, even though I know Brian's not gonna ever listen to this. But um, you know, I think we've all seen the genius come out, even to this day through everything he's been through and he's outlived his brothers by a long shot and he's, you know, still doing it. So it's pretty amazing after everything he's been through. All right, let's move on to the next question. And the last question that Wayne had for us. Number four, in early interviews, he is so talkative and expressive. And of course, in the studio, he talks with great authority And yet, in interviews now, people get one- and two-word responses to questions. I don't think that's the real him. I think those close to him see the real him. Is there any way for us to see the real him? Well, like I was saying in in the last question, I kind of feel like, you know, he'll he'll let in who he wants to let in. And look, I've had interaction with him and, you know, his people close to him and he's been very nice to me every time I've met him. Um, I don't think that 
public Brian is ever going to be anything like private Brian. Um, so I don't think that we're going to really ever get the chance. And I don't know, just to me, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I've seen, you know, there are clips out there and little, you know, candid videos and audio clips of him kind of, you know, off the record talking to people and hanging out that are very different than his interviews and public appearances. I think he just hates all that stuff. And I think he's just put up to it. Um, but he's a really private person. He, he, he loves, you know, his close friends and family, but he's just not one for, you know, doing interviews and all that. I think that's really all there is to it. And I think, you know, um, he's always really been like that. Yeah, I've always felt that Brian Wilson's never been in the business of selling Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson's in the business of being Brian Wilson. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's one of the reasons that he worked so well with Mike Love, because Mike Love is the ultimate salesman and frontman and pitch machine. So it's, um, it's a real great combo, in my opinion. 100%. Um, let's finish off Wayne's email. He says, anyhow, no worries if you never address any of this stuff. I'm lo loving everything you guys are throwing out there regardless. Just thought while I was so excited to discover you that I would put it out there. Grateful to have your band and your podcast to further feed my Beach Boys obsession. Keep it up, Wayne. Thanks, Wayne. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. I just wanted to, you know, quickly address your questions because we don't get a lot of questions that are um, really addressable in like a short fashion but we'll we'll do our best if you send us some questions we'll answer them as best we can and like i said we're just giving our opinions and we are not privy to any insider information really we're just big fans and big nerds so we're doing lots of research and we've had plenty of time to think about all this stuff and form opinions and um you may not like what we have to say and that's fine too you can tell us write us an email so far the emails have all been really really pleasant i'm not hiding any nasty emails i promise i will read everything and anything that we get so send bring us some the hate pain. mail bring the pain people yeah bring it on i don't care all right one more email this one's from our good buddy chuck hayes from california this is a really cool kind of a cliffhanger that he leaves us on but a cool story Ooh. chuck says once upon a time, there was a young man who was riding back to Quaker Hill, Connecticut from West Hartford after a Tuesday night high school basketball game with his friends and teammates on a very cold January 1974 winter's night, temps in the 20s. I feel like we should have like um, the fairy tale music going on behind this. Let's do it. The five teenagers in the car were listening to WDRC AM 1360, Hartford, when a blistering electric guitar riff cut through the casual conversation during the car ride. I sat up in my seat. Do you hear this? I asked my friends. It's different. It's new. They told me to be quiet. I insisted. Listen to this. It's the Beach Boys, but it's live. It's different. I turned up the volume and it kept rocking to the end. Then the jock came on and that said that the Beach Boys from their soon-to-be-released concert album. I was locked on. No internet, just record stores. The next day, after school, could not come sooner. 
Wednesday afternoon, the day after my fun, fun, fun awakening, I made my way to the New London Mall to first visit Paperback Booksmith, the very hip book and record store. Nothing there. And the John Sebastian lookalike clerk said, no man, no new Beach Boys live record. Check out the cutout section. I caught a bit of hipster tood. After all, CSNY, Neil Young, and the Dead ruled my school and the FM airwaves. But I trucked on to two guys and then the outlet. No dice. A couple weeks went by, and it might have been the first week of February 1974. I finally found it. What a rush. I made it home to my house, looked for the side which featured Fun Fun Fun, which was side four, and put the album on the family Magnavox. The very first sounds I heard when the needle hit the vinyl was the mellow tones of Mike Love saying, this is a brand new song called We Got Love, and it was on. I flipped open the album and scanned the very cool pictures. As I reviewed the names, I felt someone was missing. I immediately went to the other 33 and a third record and quickly scanned the credits. Brian Wilson, Brian Wilson, Brian Wilson, Brian Wilson. I checked the photos again. Carl Wilson, Dennis Wilson. No Brian Wilson. Meanwhile, coming out of my speakers on that sunny Connecticut winter's day was a love letter from California beckoning me to come home to a place that I knew was the spirit of how I wanted to live my next 20 plus years. However, I needed to know what was up with Brother Brian. The only clue that was given was Carl's intro to Caroline No. It was on the Pet Sounds album. It was written by Brian Wilson and I think Tony Asher. It had always been one of my favorite tunes that Brian wrote. I was back at the record store the next day to begin the investigation, Jack Webb style. More to follow. That's my favorite email. I, I knew it would be. I, I love, for many reasons, I love the, uh, you know, secret agent, cliffhanger, mystery vibe you got going there. So that's, I've got, yeah. I'm in your corner on that one, first of all. Secondly, I will go to no shortage of praise for that live album. Um, Wyatt knows, and all my buddies who are my fellow Beach Boy fan buddies know that, that's one of my all-timers. Um, man, what a great story. Um, can't imagine hearing like a preview cut on the radio. That's incredible. They don't do that anymore. So, you know, you don't get to hear cool live records on the radio anymore. So what a rush indeed. That's pretty amazing. I feel like one of the coolest things that we get to hear about is the fans that were actually around when these records were coming out and you know, my dad's told me these stories before, very similar, about hearing a new Beach Boys song on the radio and then rushing to the record store to try and find it. And um, I feel like that's something that we really missed out on. And I, I'm just, you know, so envious of, of all you that have been able to experience that firsthand. Um, Jason and I were both born in the 80s. And um, our, you know, our memories of the Beach Boys were really just, you know, them as a nostalgia act but i feel like back in the 70s when the beach boys weren't you know one of the top bands but they were still putting out great records it would have been so exciting to discover you know new music from the beach boys each time they put out a record um through the airwaves that would be so so exciting to me yeah man i would have loved to have heard sail on sailor just crushing through the radio Oh man, that would have just blown my mind. Like, who was singing this song? You know, it's like, who Blond, is this? Blondie, like, who's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been so cool. And and just the doobies, you know. 
it'll be cool to to hear from more people if you if you any if anyone listening is has those experiences from the 60s or 70s and wants to share them with us please do it's really exciting to hear about and thank you chuck for that um we really look forward to hearing from you again please don't leave us hanging let's finish off this story and at least get the next chapter um because that's super exciting to hear yeah and even if you want to write us and tell us about the first time you heard get you back coming through the radio we're in yeah anything like that great anything and everything we are all inclusive here at Ceylon. all right so let's get into the next beach boys album that we are going to talk about and we're picking up in september of 1963 where we left off last time we were talking about the surfer girl album which was released September 16th. And just two weeks before that, the Beach Boys were in the studio recording their next album. Um, Amazingly enough, three weeks after Surfer Girl came out, they released the follow-up album, Little Deuce Coop. So this wasn't a regular album for them. This was kind of a car compilation, if you will. Earlier in the mm-hmm. year, Gary Usher and Capitol Records put out a compilation called Shut Down. And it featured a couple Beach Boys songs, but also just a ton of Gary Usher songs that he had done uh, with various groups. Um, if you haven't heard, go back and listen to our Gary Usher episode. We talked a little bit about that. And Roger Christian was involved as well. Um, so I think, you know, the Beach Boys saw that the car craze was real and that they could really throw together with Roger Christian now writing some lyrics a full album full of cartoons. And um, I think, you know, it was a little bit of a rushed piece just to get it out. Um, but there's some really great stuff going on here. And um, they reused some songs from earlier albums. So we won't really talk about those in depth, but I would like to talk a lot about the new songs on this record. There's only one session that was listed on the contracts and that was for September 2nd and there's no way they recorded this whole album on that date but um, they definitely recorded a good bit of it on that day okay so the album came out October 7th 1963 Um, on the cover is the 1932 Ford Coupe the Little Deuce Coupe the album reached number four in the US and it stayed on the charts for 46 weeks which is pretty mind-blowing Um, It was considered to be one of the first concept albums of all time, which I love. Um, Big fan of concept albums, whether it's like, you know, know, the more futuristic type or like some of the more like cohesive emotionally albums. Um, I think, you know, a good example of an earlier concept album would be In the Wee Small Hours by Frank Sinatra, one of our favorite albums to jam late at night in the van. Man, what an album. Um, four of the songs on this record were previously released. So, Shut Down, 409, Our Car Club, and Little Deuce Coop. And um, there were no songs from this album released as a single, except um, the re-recording of Be True to Your School, but none of the actual songs from the record were released as a single, which was interesting. And the record still crushed it on the charts for almost a year. Track one, we've already talked about, Little Deuce Coop. Wilson and Christian wrote pretty much every song on this record, with a couple exceptions, but um, 
This was one of the first ones that they wrote together. Great song. You know, we've talked about it at length. If you want to check out more about this song, go back to our Surfer Girl album review show and also our Roger Christian show. Track two, Ballad of Old Betsy. So this is a new track, very much based on the same chord structure and rhythm and feel as Surfer Moon. I think it's got a really good vocal blend. You can hear Dennis very prominent in the mix. Um, so that leads me to believe that Al is not on this track because usually when Al was there, there was um, much less Dennis or Dennis was doubling someone. Um, but there's a great bass vocal for Mike. The vocals are super rich. You can hear Brian in the stack as well as on the lead vocal, which he yeah. just kills. Um, and I love that this is one of the first ones where they had like a modular recording session like like the end of the the end of the song is this acapella part that there's an obvious cut and um they may have even done it on a separate day that kind of thing and i just can't hold the tears back because betsy's I give it a seven out of ten. It's a it's a song that I always love hearing. Um, I know they've played it live. Um, did you get to see them play it live, Jason? I think yeah, Mike's band did it. Yeah, so I would love to see it. But yeah, it's one of my favorites on this record. Um, I really dig the I really dig the lyric. I dig Brian's lead vocal pretty much. You know, more than anything, I think it's great. What do you think? I'm going to go seven out of 10 as well. I think it's far superior. I think it's a great evolution of the surfer moon style um, or surfer girl or whatever. I don't think it's superior to surfer girl, but I think it's definitely superior to surfer moon. Um, I know that's controversial. No, that's fine. But, um, man, it sounds awesome. The vocals are, it, I love that you can hear Brian in the harmonies and on the lead vocal. Yep. Super cool. I love that spliced ending we talked about um, with the four freshmen, you know, homage on the end. Yeah. I was listening to it with my daughter today, actually, and she really liked it a lot. She's like, ooh, <laughs> it's like, bet this Betsy song is good, Dad. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, it's really awesome. Seven out of 10, totally. There is a little bit of a, you know, weird, you know, car girl thing going on on a few of these songs where 
you can't really tell like is is roger writing about a girl or a car or both or you know it's interesting and, and also a little weird when he says stuff like betsy took a beating but she never once complained <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit of a little bit of a. I was gonna bring that up. Actually, it's kind of a slightly controversial lyric from Mr. Christian. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a different time, and not you know, I'm not gonna get into that too much. But moving on, track three, "Be True to Your School." So this version on the album was recorded on September second, and um, for whatever reason, I think Brian and Mike decided that they wanted to redo it. And I've heard that on their September 7th gig at the Lagoon in Farmington, Utah, Brian and Mike both came up with the idea for Fun, 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 and they also came up with the idea for the single version of Be True to Your School. I guess the uh, adding in the fight song and cheerleader stuff and making it a little bit more exciting, which I think is great. I like some stuff about the album version a lot, um, especially the outro, which has a little nod to Hawaii. Otherwise, I think the single version is far superior. It's just way more exciting, and it's a little more up-tempo. And I do love the um, little fight song and cheerleader parts, and they really do get you pumped up. And I would just love to be you know, a teenager and hear this come on the radio and get super pumped about you know the high school football game. And you know this came out in the fall, so that was like a really perfect timing for this single. I'd say I give the album version a 6 out of 10 and I give the single a 7 out of 10. I think it's slightly better. I do enjoy having both. So, what do you think, Jay? Um... Again, we're going to match up here. I'm going to go 6 out of 10 on the album version and 7 out of 10 on the single. Um, You know, in a perfect world, I'd love to have a blend of the two together because there's some chordal differences and some melodic differences. um, And I love that outro on the album version. And that's why I think that's why kind of our band plays like a hybrid of the two where we kind of t- pick and choose from bits from each one which I think mm-hmm. is super cool um, but you know it's interesting they're in different keys the one on the records in a higher key the one on the the uh, single is a, like a half step lower um, and you know I mean they're both really great I think the recording quality of the single is superior it's just like I feel like maybe the album version they cut it like probably in the in the flow with a bunch of other tracks and then they took it back and said you know this is a big hit single which it was reached number six but they probably just said okay we've got to really focus on this let's add some stuff to it let's give it a little more of a studio vibe and less of a band vibe and um i mean they knocked it out of the park huge big big song in the beach boys world up to this point 
there was no recording date listed for the single version, but I think it must have been recorded just after they got back from playing those gigs, like um, around like September 14th or 15th or something like that. You know, hmm. um, it does feel like they had some um, some better musicians playing on this one. I think it was maybe Dennis playing on the album version and probably Hal Blaine and Dennis on the single version. Definitely. So um, they definitely threw some threw some more money in the in the session for this, and it definitely shows. I mean, it sounds like a more professional recording. And I think because they were so rushed to do the album that they didn't really have time to think through all the arranging and all the songs as they would want to. And I love that they had the chance to come back and redo this and put it out as a single. You know, the single did really well. It was number six on the U.S. charts. So, yeah, it was obviously worth redoing. And uh, like I said, like, I love it. I would just freak out if I was a high schooler in the fall of 1963 and this song came on the radio. It would just be the perfect song to kind of get pumped up about the football game. So, um, let's move along here. Well, before we move along, yeah. we got. I do. I did okay, want to mention. Yeah, here we go. That I did want to. <laughs> mi- <laughs> I did want to mention that. I feel like that the single version definitely is the perfected version. However, a one Michael Edward Love in the late '80s certainly attempted to perfect "Be True to Your School" with Jesse and the Rippers on full house and if you're interested in that well just search youtube and you'll find mike love and john stamos being as true as they can to their school when some loud braggart tries to put you down and says the school is great i tell them right away now what's the matter buddy ain't you heard of my school it's number one in the state. <laughs> you guys gonna play a solo? Ever since Ringo started touring, we've had problems like this with drummers. Anyway, why don't you come up here and play guitar? All right. Here. Get it! Up next, we have track four, which is Car Crazy Cutie. So, we've heard this before already a couple times. So, uh, the first time we hear it, it is a song called Pamela Jean, which is credited to the Survivors, which was Brian and, and his roommate Bob Norberg. The song really didn't do much, so we're seeing it here again as Car Crazy Cutie. Roger Christian wrote the lyrics. And you'll see it again next year in summer of 64 on the uh, Roger Christian, Gary Usher, and Brian Wilson soundtrack for Muscle Beach Party as the title track. So lots of recycling going on with this tune. But um, I think this version is, is maybe the best one. I don't know. I mean, they're all good. I think Car Crazy Cutie is kind of a throwaway lyric, but... I love that the Beach Boys are on it, so that kind of puts it ahead of the others, in my opinion. Run, 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 run. 
yeah i give it a i give it a six out of ten you know not a super interesting song um just kind of filler here but um i do dig it i think the vocals are good i love i love whenever brian has like a strong lead and um the harmonies are nice so yeah just another good six out of ten well i'm I'm going six out of ten as well this version in particular has that Dion and the Belmonts mm. slinky oh yeah kind of you know not necessarily very characteristic for the Beach Boys feel and Brian is doing his Dion vocal on this um, man it's got such a cool kind of slinky groove and I'm, I'm way into that and that's another reason I like Little Deuce Coop this Little Deuce Coop song so much because it just kind of has a slightly behind groove to it that not a lot of Beach Boys tunes do, at least from this era. So, I like Car Crazy Cutie a lot. I love Pamela Jean. I mean, great, great feel. So, 6 out of 10. And I'm kind of surprised that Dennis didn't sing that one, too, being kind of that Dion feel. Yeah, it seemed custom made to Dennis, but, I mean, Brian killed it. Yeah, of course. Coming up next... I got one that we've talked about before um, called Cherry Cherry Coop, written by Brian Wilson, lyrics by Roger Christian. This is a rewrite of the song Land Ahoy, which was recorded um, in 1962 and was unreleased. So they decided to pull this one out the, out the hat and rewrite the lyrics. And so glad they did because this is one of the best songs on the record, in my opinion. Um, It's a rad lyric and a really great performance. I think uh, Mike's bass part, as we've mentioned before in the Roger Christian episode, is one of the best. And I love the lyrics. I love the the kind of feel to it. Um, I think, you know, you you can really feel um, Carl chugging on the guitar on this one. and It just sounds awesome. The vocals are thick. You can hear a lot of Dennis in there still. It's just a great great tune great cartoon one of my favorite beach boys car songs i give it a eight out of ten I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. It's a great cartoon. Kind of has that recycled from the first couple of records vibe, like you just mentioned. And uh, it's a great car song, great lyrics, great feel, cool changes. Mike sounds great on it. Cherry Cherry Crew, what's not to love? 6 out of 10. Moving on. More car songs, believe it or not. Oh. We've got 409, which we've talked about at length. So if you're interested in hearing about 409, you can go back to our Surf and Safari review and also our Gary Usher episode. But yeah, we we dig that song, of course. It's a staple in the Beach Boys live set. And um, so it was their first car song, so of course they got included on their car compilation. On to side two, first track, another song we've heard before and talked about at length, 
Shut Down. So this was the first track that Roger Christian wrote lyrics for, and it was released on the Surfing USA album. So go check out that review if you want to hear more about this. But another great song that we both really dig and a song that um, is kind of one of the one of their mo- one of their more popular car songs. So of course it's going to be here kicking off side two. Um, lots of energy. Coming in at number two on side two is Spirit of America, a song about the three-wheeled jet-powered J47 called Spirit of America that broke the land speed record just several weeks before this album came out. So something that I think was probably big news back then and lots of car enthusiasts were pretty pumped about. So they were jumping on the fad and um, decided to write a song about it. And um, it's a really great Brian vocal, super cool ballad feel, but lots of good energy, kind of a doo-wop you know, vocal and, and, and bass line, but, um, really cool song, cool horns going on. It's a six out of 10 for me. Yeah, I think it's a 6 out of 10 for me, too. I mean, man, I always have loved the vocal on this. Uh, I can't deny it. It's a great, great take. It's kind of got that 50s vibe, uh, but with some more challenging chords. And, you know, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but several, if not all the new songs featured on this collection are a big step forward in, you know, structure and chord exploration which was a growing thing for Brian at the time so this one is an example of that Um, you know seems kind of simple but it's got some little interesting turns and just some really pretty melodic stuff going on all over this record Um, 6 out of 10 for me cool stuff coming up next we have a song that we've talked about a little bit before as one of our favorites it's our car club so this song was also featured on the surfer girl album great tune we both really dig it um one of the songs that we jam a lot in the van and a song that um is really inspiring and um it's got a great it's got a great lyric man and uh it's a lyric that mike wrote I thought maybe it was uh, Roger Christian, but this is a Mike Love lyric. So super cool. And um, go check out our Surfer Girl episode if you want to hear more about that one. No Go Showboat. Oh, yeah. So I know Jason likes this one a lot. I dig it a lot, too. It's another Roger Christian lyric, Brian Wilson music. So this one has a great 
uh, lyric, kind of a comedy song. Gosh, it's, hol- it's hilarious. It's kind of a, it's you know kind of about a car that that looks great but it doesn't go anywhere. I love the arrangement. I love the horns. It's got a really cool um, B section, kind of uh, a minor feel to it, which is really different for a lot of these songs. And um, great vocals, great great performance by Brian on the lead. Um, I think Jason turned me on to another version that was done a, a few weeks later, actually, by a group called The Timers. Hmm. Yeah, so The Timers was another Gary Usher project featuring Chuck Gerard, who we've talked about. He would go on to be the lead singer of the Hondells and other various Gary Usher projects. And that version also features Brian Wilson on vocals. Definitely. But yeah, this one's really cool. I love the horns. Like I said, I love the minor B section. Vocals are great. Sounds awesome. Uh, Great playing. I give it a 6 out of 10. I'm going 7 out of 10. It's super advanced for this time period for the Beach Boys um, in terms of experimentation. The strange minor B section, like you mentioned, which is killer, killer. And then the sweet key change. Oh, yeah. um, I forgot about that. It's awesome. Yeah. The key change is a crusher because it's kind of a advanced type of key change, which it's, you know, it's hard to get into, so I won't break it down all nerdy, but it's a very awesome half step up key change that kind of came together more popular in the types of chords Brian was using on this with guys like, you know, Barry Gibb and, and even like some ABBA stuff way later. So I don't know if they were jamming no go showboat necessarily, but, um, definitely just a great step forward for Brian and the guys in terms of just being able to experiment on kind of like an album track. They knew that wasn't going to be a single. So Brian got to stretch out a little more here and uh, productions killer horns seven out of 10 for me huge fan of no go showboat and the line about the ice cream truck kills me and i die laughing every time to this day (laughs) yeah i think i've had a few no go showboats back in my time too i still do (laughs) so moving on uh the next track is titled a young man is gone and those of you who have maybe seen the Beach Boys live in recent years know that they still perform this song, or at least the original version that was written by Bobby Troop and performed by the four freshmen. The original version is called Their Hearts Were Full of Spring, a Beach Boys staple. Mike rewrote the lyrics, and it was a tribute to James Dean, who died in a car crash in 1955. I think some people mistakenly think it was about Kennedy. Yeah, and some people also thought, and this is before Kennedy's death, too, so that was obviously not true, but some people also thought it was about David Marks, who had recently disappeared from the group. (laughs) For this daring young star met his death while in his car No one knows the reason why 
Screaming tire flashing fire And gone was this young star Oh, how could they let him die? Still a young man is gone Yet his legend lingers on For he died with You know, the lyrics are okay. I think the original's better. I, I think it's cool what they were trying to do. Um... But I think, you know, it was kind of rushed. I feel like Brian could have written something original that would have filled that void. But I think they already knew this song, so they just figured, let's rewrite the lyrics to make it fit the theme of the car songs. I really liked it when I was younger. But uh, I give it a 5 out of 10. Yep. I mean, the performance is killer. I'm not super huge on the lyric rewrite. 4 out of 10. Next up, and the last song on the record is called Custom Machine. Boom. This is a surf scramble for sure. There's surf this song is basically just like one surf scramble after the other. I know. You it's know what incredible. I mean? It's incredible. Surf scrambles everywhere. It's just it's just like surf scramble city. So and I guess you could call been... it hot rod scramble in this in this case. Did so. you know that hot rod scramble is the B side to surf and earth? You can't you can't stand that we're not talking about Surf and Earth. You had to bring it in. We actually got an email. I didn't want to read it. I didn't want to encourage you, but we got an email um, recently that um, asked about Surf and Earth. So I'll save that for a couple episodes from now. But <laughs> all right, let's get back on task here. So, Custom Machine, written by Brian Wilson, lyrics by Mike Love. Um, it's kind of all over the place. There's a I think it's so funny. It's like whenever Dennis is in the vocals, um, you can just hear his voice stick out so much because he's so hoarse and also because he's kind of out of tune sometimes. But I love hearing him because I think this is the last record where you really hear Dennis in that stack, you know, because Al comes back and it kind of just becomes more of a... You Sweetens know, it up. Yeah, it just becomes more of a, of a, of a blend. But um, I love hearing Dennis kind of stick out down there in the baritone. There's a great piano solo by Brian. I think it sounds incredible. Yeah, I was going to say, he gets funky. Yeah, and um, other than that, the lyrics are kind of throwaway. Um, I'm curious as to you know, how they wrote this song. It's so different than anything else on the record. It's so weird. Um, I like it. You know, it's fine. Uh, I give it a 5 out of 10. I give it a six out of ten just because A is scramble nature. B I love that piano solo. And C, I love the little bit where they just go wah. Yeah. Um man, that it's super awesome sounding. It's a great blend. And I dig kind of Dennis's funk that he brings to it. And I like Mike Love's talking stuff. I don't know. I think it's pretty rad. I love it. Six out of ten. Cool. Um, so that wraps up the album. 
I think, you know, if you're judging the album as a whole, it's it's got some really great stuff on it. Just the new material alone, it's hard to really get too pumped about it. But um, as a whole, the album being a really cool concept record and having some really big hits on it, it's no wonder that it did so well in the charts. People knew at least three or four songs already at this point. And it was very common for bands to put out these types of compilations at the time, just to kind of put the songs out um, that people already knew and to sell more records. So I definitely would have picked it up and been super into it if I was a kid back then. And um, I think as a whole, I give it a six out of 10. Lots of sixes on this record, but a few really nice um, surprises, especially for me, Cherry Cherry Coop and um, Ballad of Old Betsy. Well, I'm going to agree with you on this album. Six out of 10. It's a really, really enjoyable listen. It really is. Um, I I had a great joy listening to this this week and and obviously in the past. Um, always dug it. Um, it's a Beach Boys album that I didn't pour over the same way I poured over a lot of the other records. However, it's a great record to put on. I love listening to it at especially with my kid. We put it on in the car today and we've put it on before and it's just fun. Um, I, I think that's a big thing with this car situation going on on this album. It's a really fun album. Um, a lot of lighthearted, great stuff on it. Yeah. And plus it is a kind of a, an advancement, like I was saying earlier in kind of some more advanced Brian chord changes on these new tracks for the record. And, Production sounds really great. They're really kind of beefed up that double tracking on this record. You can kind of tell that it was rushed and put together, obviously, to capitalize on momentum they had going with the previous record and then the compilation that the boys weren't authorized, didn't authorize. But, you know, I'm into it. Six out of ten. I love the record. Great listen. And I guess that will do it for Little Deuce Coop. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate the emails and voicemails. You can hit us on email at saleonpodcast at gmail.com. And then our voicemail number is 615-606-3887. We love hearing from you guys. We love that you're listening. Thank you so much. You're keeping us motivated. We'll be back in two weeks with an episode dedicated to one of Brian's biggest influences as a producer, the one and only Phil Spector. So we will see you then. Love and mercy and sail on, sailors. <laughs>